welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the podcast that features conversations with writers of all types. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Bobo Botanicals, B-A-B-O Botanicals. Bobo Botanicals offers your family non-toxic and pure hair, skin, and sun solutions created with effective natural or organic ingredients. You can buy their products on Amazon or check them out at bobobotanicals.com. I'm here today with my great old friend, Lauren Braun Costello. Uh, Lauren is a chef, author, instructor, and former food stylist for The View and The Early Show. A graduate of Colgate University and the French Culinary Institute, Lauren started and ran her own catering firm, Gotham Caterers, while getting into the food styling world. She has since written two books about cooking. The first is Notes on Cooking, A Short Guide to an Essential Craft, and the second is The Competent Cook, Essential Tools, Techniques, and Recipes for the Modern At-Home Cook. Plus, she co-authored a children's book, which my kids love, entitled Eat Your Breakfast or Else. Lauren hosted 45 episodes, a lot of episodes, of an AOL cooking series in 2010 called Pantry Challenge and has regularly appeared on TV to showcase various recipes. She currently lives in Connecticut with her husband and two sons. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Zibby. So I want to talk about your wonderful books, but first I want to hear a little more about your food styling career because that's just so completely unique and cool. So how did you get into food styling, and what exactly does food styling even mean? That's a good, Those are both great questions. Uh, what food styling means is, I liken it, since you're a writer, to ghostwriting. It's like being a ghostwriter. So if you see um, Tyler Florence on a morning show uh, doing a five-minute segment making uh, steak and salad and barbecue, that's been three days of work. And somebody has done that, and it hasn't been Tyler because he's busy and he has to do other things. So someone else like me comes into the studio early, early, early that morning because you're probably watching that segment at, you know, 7.30 in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the view is a godsend because that was, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. That was really, really nice. So the early rise for that was 6 a.m. <laughs> um, but in those other cases, it's very early. And the work happens the two days before that. You have to plan with the celebrity chef, prep go through the recipes, and build out all those segments. When you watch a cooking show and they've taken the recipe at all the various stages and they do it for you in three minutes, that's a lot of work. And so it's, that's what food styling is. And sometimes it's as simple as just making something beautiful for a photograph. Um, at least it's not as effortless as it looks. No. People are just like whipping it up on the screen. They're not whipping it up. How do they do that? I know all the unhappy housewives with all of the stress because <laughs> they think it's so easy. So that's what food styling is, how I got into it was uh, on a whim. I did not go to culinary school thinking I would be a food stylist. I went to culinary school, I think, at the time with my then fiance, hoping that the food bill in our house would lower because (laughs) I'd get paid for doing all the wonderful meals I like to do and get even better at it. How'd that work out for you? Uh, Right now, I think we're back. I feel like, you know how they say as people age, you become a baby, you're in a wheelchair, you're in a diaper, you eat soft food. I'm back to entertaining every other day in Connecticut and uh, keeping those grocery bills high. But of course, I love it. Your Instagram Um, feed, by the way, is like mouth-watering. Thank you. There was literally... For listeners who want to go to her, what's your Instagram again? It's Lauren Braun Costello. At Lauren Braun Costello. There was a birthday cake that you made for your husband, Sean, that I almost got in the car at 7.30 at night and drove to Connecticut. Because I made offers. I made offers. Because you made offers. You're like, anyone wants some? And I was like... Could I get there tonight? Anyway. So, so I think we on. have to do that part two for this February. Yeah. We'll have to do it again. My stepmother <laughs> said, you're never doing that again, right? I said, unfortunately, I think I'm doing oh it. Oh, my God. Here. It looked amazing. Anyway, so, sorry. No, not at all. So the food styling career, I did not go to culinary school thinking that would be the case. I went to culinary school 
a little over 15 years ago at a time when the food landscape was such that there were a lot of nascent, exciting things happening, but nascent being the operative word. It wasn't clear that there were all these exceptionally cool paths you could take. It was kind of like, oh, I'll be a restaurant cook or a caterer, Mm -hmm. but there's no way I want to be a restaurant cook. You know, I'm newly married and I have a uterus, so like somebody has to carry the baby around and do all that work. So um, I knew that that wouldn't be good for me. I didn't want to It'd be like going to medical school in the middle of giving birth. Like, what's the point of that? To work that hard and not just be able to go gangbuster. So I said, well, I'll, I'll start a catering company because I'll, you know, hopefully build up a good client list and pick and choose the work. You can say no when someone calls you. to right. you, Your restaurant has to stay open. So uh, I went with that in mind. And then the French Culinary Institute, which is now called the International Culinary Center, happened to have, and still does, I should say, a spectacular uh, placement office. Um, so anyone who's looking for a private chef, call up the International Culinary Center. They'll hook you up with someone. Um, but they also help place people. And when I was uh, getting ready to graduate, in fact, the day before or the day of my graduation, I had gone into the office to uh, speak to them about any upcoming catering gigs. And they said, oh, something just came across my desk. That's, we know life works that way, right? Timing is everything. Um, hard work, but mostly a lot of luck. And it was for Michelle Nishan, um, who was the... Uh, chef at Heartbeat Restaurant, which used to be at the W Hotel, um, he was doing a Stonyfield yogurt press event, and he needed someone to assist him. And I said, "Cool, I'll you know I will do anything. Like I'm not working. If I'm not catering, I'm not working. So I'll do you know one day gigs, two day gigs, get paid a nominal amount or not even. I was happy just to work. And uh, I show up, and he calls. I'm on time, and he's late. And I say, okay, no big deal, but I'm on time. So I, I look like a good, you know, recent graduate of 18 hours. And um, he says, I'm sorry I can't be there. Uh, Oprah has called and told me that her crew is coming today. I told them it wasn't convenient. And they said, don't worry, it works for us. You know, they just showed up at his house. Um, he had a book coming out that was head-to-head with Harry Potter at the time, thanks to Oprah. So the power of Oprah. Um, but I was shaking. I thought... I have to do this. I have to prep by myself. I was there to assist him. So not only are we not four hands and two minds and two bodies doing all the culinary work, I I want the direction. I'm I'm the you know I'm the I'm the peon here. Right. And uh, he just told me what he wanted. You know, over scratchy fifteen years ago, scratchy cell phone. I didn't oh hear God. him. Um, and I ended up. Uh, I said to myself, I gave myself a bit of a culinary meditation, and I said, <laughs> you know. It's like the Herb Brooks, play your game. You know, I just played my game. I said, do what you've been taught to do. You've been trained well. Execute at that level. You know, he said, slice, you know, the case of zucchini. Well, what's after I hung up? What thickness? Like, I don't, what's the thickness? So I, I knew what the end game was. I just used my common sense in my training. And he came in the next morning after asking me, can you find a loaf of brioche, like a pandemie of brioche? And I thought at six in the morning. Uh, so wearing my... Chef's whites, I started banging on the door at Payard, you know, right over, yeah. on, right, right around the corner. And they're looking at me, but I'm wearing the uniform. So I like cracked the door open and I said, I need a, a <laughs> loaf of brioche pending me right now. I'll give you any amount of money, you know. <laughs> and I showed up and he was impressed that I scored yeah. this early in the morning. He opened up the fridge and he said, oh my goodness, like I, in 20 something years of working, I've never had anyone do exactly what I've asked. And I, ne- I hadn't met you before. And that started our culinary Aww. career. And then two days later, he said, do you want to make a taco on CNN? Because he was doing consulting for Song Airlines, which was a little offshoot of Delta. I don't know if you remember that. 
Um, and he was doing cool food for that airline. And that began my culinary career. So I had my culinary food styling career. Um, and I had never been trained in food styling. I taught myself how to do it. And I've taught other people since how to do it, who I have to say are far more talented at it than I am, I think, because they had the <laughs> good fortune of being trained by me and all that soft skill stuff right. and being blessed with their own exceptional hard skills. And it was a crazy journey. That's amazing. Crazy journey. Wait, so tell, so let's say I'm in the kitchen and I, it's, I'm, I'm doing some culinary meditation as I, <laughs> as I make my kids scrambled eggs and sausage and try to get the lunch bags ready for camp. How can I make, what can the layperson like me do to make my foods look food styled by someone like you? It's a good question. You know, the thing about food stylists um, and especially today, you know, when we were kids, everything was shot, you know, straight mm-hmm. on. Now everything is thanks to Donna Hay in Australia. She was the first one a million years ago. And then Martha, Don, right? Donna yeah, yeah, Hay's yeah. amazing. So everything is, you know, bird's eye, mm-hmm. right? Very, very cool and everything. It's also now even uh, not styled. A lot of food looks so scrumptious. They show the roasted butternut squash and Brussels sprouts on the plat, you know, mm-hmm, on, on the mm-hmm. sheet pan with the drizzled oil. So I think at home... Um, with little kids, uh, where we shy away from, you know, anthropomorphisms with adults because it's a little uh, corny, um, I think with children that can be a tremendous amount of fun. I used to take um, a pancake and uh, cut that circle in half and then kiss the two curved parts with a line of blueberries in the middle, and it was a butterfly all of a sudden. Ooh, and I so like it was like it. no effort. I mean, that, I mean, Yep. Four seconds on your part, because if you're making lunch and breakfast, as yeah. I do also, yeah. and you're in your pajamas, and yep. you have to get, I mean, the laundry list of agony is uh, Wait, that's long. a good one. I love the butterfly. The butterfly. Another cute one, just with the same circle shapes, is um, you cut it in half, and you can make a car. So you can take banana slices for the wheels, so it's just like one oh, half, like so two cars, little Volkswagen. Um also, you, if you make pancakes big and small, you can do Mickey Mouse with the ears with a silver dollar. So just something like that. Scrambled eggs, oftentimes with kids. I always remind adults, kids love, just like we do, cocktail party. Hello, who doesn't love an hors d'oeuvre? If you could eat canapé all day long, I mean, who wouldn't? So I, I would anyway. Um, I think kids like that too. So it's fun to make things finger size. So, um, you know, you can make... Scrambled eggs and sausage might be boring after a while with a fork and knife. You know, put it in a little wrap. Make a burrito out of it. Make a breakfast burrito. Or um, let them make a, a pizza out of it on a piece of toast. You know, words that have meaning to them and foods that they like, if they participate and you can kind of turn it into that, I find that kids are very happy. Um, another thing is simply just height. Mm-hmm. To really style things, to make things look really chicly styled is creating height. So. If you get served a sandwich, let's say, with carrot sticks and potato chips or something, yeah. and a thing of grapes, mm-hmm. and it's all flat on the plate, yeah. but remember, you're not Donna Hay standing over the food, right? You're looking at it at straight on. So creating height is nice. If you shingle food, if you take a sandwich and then layer it on top yeah. uh, in the other direction, so it's kind of shingled like a tea, mm-hmm. that gives height, and then you kind of pile up the carrot sticks tall and have the chips around it. You create height. It creates intrigue. It makes it mm. interesting. Kids tend to like that, you know. And you can even get a little kooky with kids if they like to cook with you. You have, um, you know, girls and you're making meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Like You can put it in a muffin tin and the mashed potatoes can be frosting and the peas and carrots can be on top. Ooh. And it can be, I mean, if that would make them happy, you know, why not? You've got to bake the meatloaf anyway. There's lots of fun things you can do. Think about pastry chefs and cake makers, which I am not, I'm a savory chef, but they, they build stuff and it's edible, right? So if you 
kind of just look at your food that way, you can have fun with your kids and they can participate in that and that's sky's the limit. Amazing. My kids are actually having a little cooking lesson that a friend set up for them by somebody named Chef Namaste, which is a combination of <laughs> yoga and cooking. So they alternate like the story of the cook. I don't know. I Sounds good as to me. As long as they are in the kitchen and enjoying food, go for it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so let's see. Your matzo ball and mistletoe party. I want you to just tell <laughs> people about this amazing party that you throw every year because it's like... You're not just a chef, you're an entertainer. You're like the Martha Stewart of home events. And matzo ball and mistletoe is just the, the be-all, end-all standard of holiday parties. Oh, my goodness. How That's a high compliment <laughs> from, a very, from a very, very, very sophisticated entertainer herself. That's oh, high compliment. Oh, please. Um, how do you throw... Tell us, like, some tips that make that party so great that people at home throwing parties might be able to emulate. <laughs> well, that party is a, a funny party. So matzo ball and mistletoe... Um, is clearly a nod to a combination of Jewish and, and Gentile, uh, you know, mix. So uh, we're Jewish, but obviously we have a lot of Gentile friends, and it's the holiday season. So we do this. I don't actually serve matzo balls at the party, right? It was just alliteration and funny, right? So wouldn't it be nice if I did? But I happily I take that <laughs> off my list, right? Someone said you should it would serve be too expected, you, right? You should serve matzo balls at this. I said, believe me, I, I there's no room to serve anything else at this party. So it started out as a dessert party. And then I realized, just because people come and go in the holiday season and they might have a dinner or they might be running to a dinner, coming late, early when we were very young in the city in our 20s, right out of college, the party is in its 20th year. So I thought, you know, dessert is easy. And then over time I realized, well, I can feed 60 people no problem dinner if I do it uh, kind of buffet and homey. So I started doing, as you know, chicken pot pies uh, with trees and stars of David on the crust and... Uh, huge amounts of mac and cheese and salad and all that. I prep for that party. It takes me a solid week to do all of it. I Every single dessert, so I guess what you like probably about that party is the <laughs> dining room table, you yes. meaning the, the visual no, that no, you're alluding to. Is the, that that no. is the actual me. It's what I like. <laughs> on the, it's on the dining room. Well, yeah. the mac and cheese I know you like too, but on the dining That's room true. table, there are all these, you know, just tons of desserts, whether they're bite size cookies, um, you know, pastries, and then I do full cakes, and I have, you know, my friend from childhood, we have a limi tart, which is named after after her, uh, this banana caramel tart. But, but the way you present it is so beautiful. Height. Height, yeah. It was Height is one thing. Different so that's platters. Different you, like, platters. label everything. I do. Everything. I get like, crafty. Yeah. I, I like my I like my craft paper and my markers and my ribbons and my, I do. And I... I believe so. My big philosophy for entertaining in general, and my philosophy for cooking in general, I would say, is and some of this is reflected in Notes on Cooking, one of my books, is that I'm getting there. I no, promise. not at all. I I'm just, getting there. Not at all. Not at all. I just um, I it, I believe that it should be joyful, and it should be welcoming. And we have a note in the book: um, feed others as they wish to be fed. So. That is really, to me, you know, we think of the golden rule in all of our behavior, and I think the kitchen, like any other great craft, is a great uh, food and fodder and metaphor for life. So, you know, the golden rule is do unto others as we would have done unto ourselves. So that's a great standard. But in the kitchen and in entertaining, 
I think the standard is um, do unto others as they would wish to have done for themselves, not the way you would wish it. And that's really the platinum rule, as it were, <laughs> um, as opposed to the golden rule. And I think with matzo ball and mistletoe, as a for instance, I, my goal, and I, it pleases me to know that on some level I'm accomplishing this because it really my only goal is I want people to feel fed in all the ways that one can be fed, not just um, through food, but to really have all of their senses delighted and to have a sense of warmth and love and connection. Cause I think the world is highly underconnected today. We over communicate incessantly, but we're actually way less connected than we used to be in my opinion. So people say, you've got someone at your house. I had, you know, 15 people in my house yesterday. I've got people coming to stay over in two days. I had all of my son's childhood babysitters. They're all these lovely Paraguayan women. I had them come up for a pool party on Saturday because he hadn't seen them in a couple years. Like, I, I just think, you know, connecting is wonderful. Food's one way to do it. And then the entertaining outside of that is a, is a you know, sort of the finishing touch of the food. And I just think when you think of others and you bring joy to it for yourself, it translates. And that can be different things for different people. Yeah, I do it all from scratch. And I actually turned to uh, my close friend who, you know, the, the uh, namesake of Bulimi Tart. And I said one year I was so tired. I said, but I could buy a couple gorgeous cakes, you know, Lady M or something from Grace's. And she looked at me and went, no, not you. We'll all be disappointed. And I thought, are you kidding me? Everybody else could get away with putting it on a high platter and do the height and the decorating. She said, no. So I thought, okay, so part of the joy that people are getting is from me personally. So that actually refuels, refueled me and continues to refuel me in continuing to do the party and give the joy and do the and do that because you know you can t- even a professional can tire out there there's nothing that means more to me than when someone cooks for me it's so personal and so like Tell i am me. like kissing the feet of people who cook for me i remember when i just had my fourth baby and i had been making meal after meal after i like nobody was really making stuff to make me happy. Right. And my baby nurse on my birthday was like, no, no, you sit. And she made me blueberry pancakes, which I don't even like. And it was the nicest (laughs) thing ever. And I'm like eternally grateful. I was like crying. And now I'm so lucky. Kyle is this amazing chef. Spectacular. But you can like taste the love. I don't know. I just, there's something. You can taste the love. It's very interesting that even you giving that example, somebody made you blueberry pancakes, not something I would ever, you know, eat or I don't like that much, but it, it absolutely raises the game. It's much like somebody whose physical attraction is, if you just looked at them, is at a certain level and then they start talking mm-hmm. and it goes up or down because of how spectacular or horrendous they are. <laughs> and food is like that. Yeah. So something can be quite delicious, even though it doesn't really get you off otherwise right. on its own <laughs> because of what goes into it. And if somebody, um, you know, we have a note in the book, um, that says, you know, uh, don't be grim. Uh, food preparation should be, you know, joyful, and so should you. And it's, it does. It gets in the food. It gets in the food, um, and that's why you can have, you know, twenty people make the same thing and follow the same recipe, even use the same jug of oil and the same flat of eggs, and all. And it's you got twenty different things because you your your stuff you yeah. gets into it. It's it's an unbelievable, spectacular snowflake kind of phenomenon of of being a cook or an artist or any kind of craftsman, really. Um, so the books, and now you've already given me two notes on cooking without me even having to ask you for them. <laughs> um, so notes on cooking notably has no recipes. That's it's right. 
for its straight on, wonderfully streamlined notes, tips, what are some of the most useful that you, aside from the ones you've just mentioned, to, so, the, to the home cook? So I think, um, well... Well, maybe not to the home to who Well, no. To, I mean, that's what's interesting about it. So, like, it was endorsed what's by... What's useful to me? <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, I, so, for example, we get very specific in the book, and then we get very global. I find the global ones incredibly seductive because, as you know, I'm... Like I'm kind of a permanent thinker, right? I'm I'm always thinking about these things, so I I love that. Um, but there's a lot of specific stuff that's perfectly interesting and seems incredibly, um, uh, you know, almost obvious in a way. For example, um, don't put woody herbs in at the end of the cooking process. You put them in at the beginning, and don't put leafy herbs in generally at the beginning. You put them in at the end. Of course, there's exceptions to that, but what does that mean? You don't finish a dish with chopped rosemary, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, but if you're a novice cook, you might not realize that. Like, you of, course know, you which, of course you don't. Right, of course you don't. I know that. Um, and then there's other things like always flag a hot pan. Like, I don't know how many home cooks have burned themselves because they take out the cookie sheet and they just leave it there mm-hmm. and they go to touch it 10 minutes later and it's hot. Um, in a professional kitchen, you always put a rag over that, mm. which is called flagging it. Um, you know, those are very specific little things. But then there are these big global things that I think are, you know, really important. And for me, one of the biggest things is for people to, you know, really get in their synesthetic space if they can. And we have a note that says, touch the sounds, feel the flavors, taste the smells, you know, and that means that you have to crosswire your sensory experience when you're cooking. That's a big thing. And if you're a, a novice cook or an uncomfortable cook, you know, not a confident cook, um, that can be scary. But I remind people, you know, you like to eat, you're like 90% of the way there, right? Like you like to eat, you got a lot of skills to, to <laughs> potentially be a cook. I haven't met, a, I have met people who don't much care for eating. They also, you know, don't like puppy dogs and, uh, and sex or something. Eating. It's like I, a strange thing. I don't, I don't know those right. people. <laughs> so I, so I, yes, very, but there are people who, okay. you know, okay. eat to, I, I know we haven't crossed their path, but some people who, so most people do enjoy eating on some level, but uh, a lot of people are not confident about their ability to just go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if they remind themselves, but I know what I like, I know flavors and I can, you know, I can read. <laughs> and I also have common sense. It's a little bit like um, using Waze or GPS. You know, we, well, okay, it says to go left, but am I really getting on the Bruckner Boulevard? I thought I was going to Long Island. Like, you weren't <laughs> supposed to veer all the way left. Use your brain. You don't need to rely on yeah. that thing. And people do that with recipes. People need to remember that not everybody is a brilliant recipe writer. A recipe, a big piece of advice we have in the book is a recipe um, is somebody's best effort, hopefully best effort at the, at the highest standard to, uh, tell us what they did and to tell a story and to, and to give us instructions, but not, we've all, you know, put furniture together from Ikea or read an instruction on how to fix some glitch in our car. And, you know, not everybody's equally skilled at writing instructions and not everybody's an equally gifted storyteller. Lots of people tell me stories. I want to fall asleep. Uh, you know, I tend to be an okay storyteller. I know that. So, um, I think that's something people need to really remember that when they read a recipe, if it says saute the, uh, sweat the onions for 15 minutes or until golden brown, 
and you've been sweating them for 20 minutes and they're just starting to caramelize and they're not golden brown. We target the result mm-hmm. more than the instructions. That's a huge one for home cooks who are nervous and they're working from a recipe instead of just from, you know, on the fly. So notes on cooking is just, if you're looking at it on the shelf, has this amazing like uh, turquoise border and great cover and is would be, I think, a perfect gift, especially on these summer summer barbecues and summer parties called Notes on Cooking, um, Lauren Brown Castella. So I don't know, just saying, this would be Thank a great you. gift. And then your next book, um, The Confident Cook, yeah. has a very different look and feel, more of a Betty Crocker 1950s yeah. manual, but it, just as useful as that was. I still refer to the one my mother has from when she was a kid with like the Binding. Anyway, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So this was the published. The one difference: notes on cooking, self-published. The Confident Cook, published by Adams Publishing. Um, tell me a little bit about the Confident Cook, and then the difference between how you published both these both these tomes. Yeah, they happened at the same time, which was you know when it rains it pours, good and bad. This was good. Um, the Confident Cook is the subtitle, which I also didn't write. I didn't do the cover design, and I didn't do the subtitle. But the subtitle is Essential Tools, Techniques, and Recipes for the modern at-home cook. That's exactly what's in it. So the most interesting part of the book, in my opinion, is the first third of it where we talk about these essential tools. And there's a little uh, essay, as it were, on each piece of equipment. So how do I pick a wooden spoon? Right. So I mean, how odd. Whoever thought, how do I pick a wooden spoon? You just pick one. But actually, in four or five paragraphs, I outline how you might do that. You know, How do I pick, uh, perhaps more importantly, a saute pan? Uh, what pans do I actually need? What, you know, we have a section in the book that makes me smile called Utterly Irrelevant Equipment Miscellany, yep. <laughs> which uh, has, amongst other things, uh, you know, a tomato slicer and, uh, you know, an avocado scoop and things like that. So um, that book is really targeted for beginner cooks, whereas Notes on Cooking is evergreen for everybody. Seasoned cooks find wisdom in it. New cooks find very useful information in it. Um, Company Cook is definitely more of like a starter book um, in that respect. Good for like recent grads and people yes. starting out. And it and it was it was a traditional publishing deal. I had an agent who was a friend of my husband's from childhood. who's was a lovely and very bright lady. And um, this was uh, the deal she, you know, suggested that I take. And it was really interesting because I at the same time, was working on, while I had been pitching this way before I started Notes on Cooking, I was writing Notes on Cooking with my partner, Russell, Russell Reich, who published the book because he had had Notes on Directing, um, which was a, a runaway hit um, and still a backlist title today. Um, and he, that was such a different experience because we were on our own time frame. Um, we could have our own standard of excellence uh, it didn't have to be a certain number of words. You know, this is, you have to submit 70,000 words. Well, I've written 58,000. Okay, so we'll just write more recipes. You know, that kind of thing. Um, the cover art was, you know, painstakingly, uh, you know, dealt with and sweat every detail. The kerning of every letter, literally, I mean, the, a week of talking about the kerning of the O's next to the K and the C <laughs> and cooking. Um, and, you know, it was a finalist for Ben Franklin Award. So Why? Because of that, right? This, I remember the cover art for The Competent Cook, the original mock-up had a coffee mug and garden shears on it. (laughs) Yeah, you laugh because it's preposterous, but 
imagine my email and, and my phone call. You don't call. even want to know. You don't want to know. No, you, don't, you don't, no one wants I, my wrath. <laughs> or, or how about the fact that in the bio in the back of the book, it says Laura Braun Costello. I can assure you I did not submit my bio misspelling my own name. So those are the kinds of things that, not, and I, not to impugn all traditional publishing deals by any stretch of the imagination, this particular experience was incredibly different from the self-published. And it... Um, and the children's book was self-published also. So two of my three, which are the two most beautiful and yep. really exactly what they were intended to be. And I remember I showed this mock-up to Tyler Florence at The View one day. And I was like, what do you think of this? Mm-hmm. Knowing that he could tell that I didn't much care for it. It wasn't me. And he said to me, he goes, do they even know you? Have they met you? Like, what is that? So I was able to knock off a garden shears and the coffee mug, neither of which, by the way, for listeners out there, are essential tools <laughs> for the kitchen. A coffee mug might be an essential pregame tool, but it is not an essential cooking tool. I, I mean, just mind-blowing. So it's very, very different, and it taught me a lot um, about the process and about how I might proceed in the future. It also, I have an adage professionally in my food styling career, which is... Um, say yes to anything. Just say yes. You know, if somebody asks you to do something, say yes. Um, I wish if I could tell my younger self about this particular book deal, I would have said no and waited for a book deal that I mm. thought was more um, in line with what uh, I thought I should have in terms of the content of the book. Um, so it, it looked kind of like how it feels. Because right so, now it... So why not go for that now? You I have, suppose I could. I, I think I think it's time. It's time. <laughs> it's time. It's time. Um, and then the big head scratcher is, you know, do I do it um, the traditional route or the self-publishing route? And that's a big head scratcher. And now in today's space, of course, as you well know, um, some things really should be books and some things really shouldn't be books. Some things should be blogs in mm-hmm. today's world, the way people digest information. Um, you know, a lot of people have told me, oh, I'm going to write this book. And I think, you know... Like, there's a reason the Real Housewives of wherever all have New York Times bestsellers. It's not because they're Montesquieu in waiting. I mean, it's just because they have this presence. People will buy it. Everything has a, you know, it's more ephemeral. And if you don't have that presence, but you have great ideas, you might be better suited to a blog. It might not, you know, not not every story needs to be told in discursive format. Some things should, you know be more fleeting or be queued up in a blog. And so it's, it, I, I grapple with that. Um, it, it, was, it was interesting. I, I do believe, though, in general in my culinary career, saying yes to almost everything led me to every cool experience that I have had and some that I know I've missed. So I wouldn't have had my show if I hadn't, you know, said yes to styling for Gail Simmons, you know, right yes, after wait, my... Tell, tell us more about your show. Oh, the show. We had a show called Pantry Challenge on... Um, AOL, it was very cool. I went into people's homes and helped them. Uh, they would they were challenged with what was in their pantry. Uh, what do I do with Dijon mustard? I've been sitting here. I bought it for one recipe a year ago. What do I do with it? You know, and then we come up with a recipe to help them. Or my kid never eats vegetables. He's 13. He's literally never had a vegetable. And I guarantee you won't be able to help me, but can you try? And then helping. And then on camera, unforced, the kid takes three servings of what I've made. Um... That was really fun, and that was sponsored by Kraft. And if I hadn't, you know, been doing a food styling gig for my friend and colleague, Gail Simmons, it wouldn't have happened. And she called me at a time that was very difficult. My grandfather had just died. I was exhausted. My husband was practically living in Sweden trying to save Saab for the third time, you know, uh, as a banker. And I, I just thought, how, and I had a young, young kid. I thought, how can I 
do this, but you know what? Gail's really cool. I'd love to do something for her because I'd worked with her before on another show. And I, I said, yeah, I should just do it. And the producers of that show were like, you should have your own show. And I think, thank you. I think so too, right? Who, who doesn't want to have one? So we did it. Um, and so that way of working in the culinary world for me um, has been, was just amazing. I got to do so many cool things. Um, but I would have said, I would have not done that particular competent cookbook deal. I would have done that a little differently. I would have said yes later. Okay. Um, that's my one lesson I think learned, awesome. but that's, that's okay too. So no pressure with this question, but mm-hmm. you are so immensely talented as you well know, I'm sure you're a writer, a chef, you're amazing on camera. You have like a photographic memory for everything, <laughs> which I should have mentioned before. You can remember every food styling detail. You're like incredible. What you have to do something with this talent aside from the parties and <laughs> delighting your friends. You don't have to. I shouldn't say that. That's obviously the greatest gift you can give any family member and whatever. But just selfishly, how are you going to spread this around? I I have a, I do have a dream. I had a dream, and I actually had, I was uh, sort of 80% baked when I was pregnant with my second, um, to have a show, which, you know, now, again, with each passing year, it's sort of astronomical change. So... Um, you know, now that might take the format of, you know, we have the big screen and the, and the, you know, small screen. Now it's the really small screen, the pocket (laughs) screen. So it could, that could be, you know, an online type of thing. But I, I have been talking to some friends and some people about, should I do, you know, a show? And I know you're nodding at me. Yes, do it. I, I, I probably really, really should. Um, I, you know, I was, well, no, I, I, you know, I was going to do it about six years ago. And um, logistically uh, and interpersonally with my colleagues at the time, things fell apart very sadly and very surprisingly to me and unexpectedly to me. But they did, and it was probably meant to be that they did. And then I gave birth to William and all was good. But, um, and I didn't care for a while. Well, at first I cared a lot. People would say, how are you? What are you up to? And I couldn't answer the question in under three minutes. It was awful. Who wants to talk to somebody at a cocktail party who has to give their little sob story in, you know, 300 seconds or less. It was terrible. Um, and then by the time, you know, my younger son was, you know, two, three years old, what are you up to? Absolutely nothing, I would say, you know, and I would say that perfectly comfortably, I think, because um, I had sort of given up the dream. And it's okay. Like, I had a really good run. I went from one in a million to one in 10,000 to one in a thousand and then super close to one in a hundred. I mean, I had a deal like, go make your show. We're going to syndicate it across, you know, we're going to give you a national TV show and get like losing. That was hard. Um, or losing it in that moment, I should say was hard. Um, and then I felt over the years, well, I'm old, you know, I'm 41 and who cares? And, you know, nobody wants to see what I ha- you know, have to do or hear what I have to say. But then people are constantly telling me that that's what they want to do. They want to sit at my island and like watch me cook and talk to me. So maybe people should sit at my island and watch me cook and talk to me. Um, and how I execute that, I have to figure out. But I, I am ready to delight in that dream again uh, now that I've gotten the kids past a certain point on the highway of child rearing. Um, it's possible. Because another philosophy of mine, um, which is, you know, stemmed in all of my books, is, you know, anything worth doing is worth doing well. And um, 
I, you know, the opening quote to Notes on Cooking is from Aristotle, which is, I'm, I'm thumbing through it so I don't do any disservice to Aristotle. It's excellence um, is not an act, it's what we do, right? What we are, what are, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. That's Aristotle. And I totally believe that. So instead of doing everything badly or, or, in a state of mediocrity, which is what can happen, as you know, when you have young kids, and that's the priority, right? You can't. So instead of doing everything at kind of a B or a B plus, which is you know not bad, or potentially getting into C level, I just rather do one thing, at least aiming for the A. I falter all the time, but I know what my beacon is. I know what my beacon of excellence is, and you know, there's a period of time in child rearing where, depending on what your own personal standard. Uh, and that is a highly personal thing. I, I don't preach what it should be, the, the form it takes, but whatever it is for you. Um, and for me, I knew what that was. It was hard to to do it all at once. Now I could see making that work again in a way that it was possible when I had only Jonathan or when I before Jonathan, I worked like a dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could work seven days a week. It's fine with me. Because um, we do now, right? You know, oh, we, do, we do now. We're seven <laughs> days a week now. You just never know. Even days off aren't days off, right? <laughs> Once you give birth, you're you're always uh, you're always on. So I think that t- I just have to figure out uh, the how, the how. But I, I, I am finally ready again. It was funny. I never thought that I would not care. And there was a period of time where I think, as almost a self defense, like a like a, a protection mechanism, I had to say, you know what. I had that dream. I got really close. I've accomplished something, you know. You've accomplished something. And I and I, it's you know, I've worked with some of the best and the brightest. I mean, the food styling stuff is just so fun. People say, "Oh, you should do a tell-all with all the celebrities you work for." I said, "Sure, that's a great way to have no friends. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way never to work again." I mean, I have great stories. Um, some of which are completely appropriate to share with the world. Others are a little disparaging of other people. Um, but, uh, I'll just, you know, keep those, uh, close, close to the vest. But, um, I've thought about even memoir, uh, cause as you know, I come from kind of a crazy family and I have some crazy family stories that, uh, you know, could be, could weave their way in and around food or not. And I've thought about that cause I do love writing. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I write so many emails at great length. As you know, I'm a big email writer when the time calls because I, that's about all the time I have for writing. And it's funny, I realize that part of that is my way of connecting, not through food, mm-hmm. but through writing, because I haven't been able to sit down. And I have two books written, about two chapters of these two books written. Um, and I revisit them and write a little more from time to time, but not as much as I should. So it's all percolating around. Kids are getting older. I have a middle schooler on the rise now, first grader on the rise. So I think it's possible. But in the meantime, you know, I have to make blintzes before camp because the older one asked me for, please, for blintzes, mom, on oh Thursday God. for breakfast. I, the luckiest kids No ever. kidding. You know what? I just, before, before I came here, I had hot cinnamon rolls. I made yeast dough last night, overnight cinnamon rolls for his school breakfast. They asked me to make cinnamon rolls. So I can't, I can't get out of that kitchen. It's well, Don't tell my kids whose <laughs> treat is like when I put the, you know, pancake mix into the Olaf waffle maker in the mornings is the big treat. <laughs> that is a big treat, but that's the other thing, really. People should not, there is a range. Look, when I get dressed and go out to a party and I do my hair and put on a little makeup and put heels, I mean, I'm never going to look like Giselle Bunchen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't have the body, I don't have the face, I don't have the budget, I don't have the free clothes, I don't, I, I don't have any of it. So I shouldn't feel that I don't look my best or didn't achieve some kind of like, you know, you, you, you look nice today for you. I mean, I, 
Yeah, I don't make Bisquick pancakes as a friend since I bet you don't either. I bet you have I was gonna say, I bet you have Bob's or something really good and healthy or whatever Um, the cool organic thing is of the moment. So but that's the thing. Wherever you are in the spectrum, if you give your kids uh, let's say you give your kids Pop Tarts for breakfast, which to me, like I go on go on a ski trip and you see Bobby, Timmy, Tommy. Take a Pop-Tart. I'm like, you're about to unleash them into the wild for eight hours, like sled dogs burning 3,000 calories on legalized crack in the form of like a biscuit with frosting on it. How can you not give them like a hard-boiled egg? Like, why do you hit them with a hard-boiled egg? What are you, Timmy, Tommy, and Petey, you're going to be cracked out at 12 noon. Hope they're getting chilly for lunch up there on the mountain. But so so if that's your, if that's your baseline, which it isn't yours and it isn't mine, um... Okay, why don't you upgrade, you know, the toaster strudel to, like, a pre-made hard-boiled egg from the grocery store and even, like, an Eggo waffle, okay? And then, you know, if you're an Eggo waffle gal, why don't you get Vans, you know, or, or whatever, the lovely... And if you're, like, your Vans, you know, you can do it. Mix that Bob's Mill mix, you know, with... Yep. So wherever you are in the spectrum, just up your game one notch. And that's, you know... There's a difference between food, food prep... And actual cooking, right? Cooking is commanding heat, moving moisture. If you're just, like, assembling stuff, you're not really cooking. So uh, have an honest conversation with yourself about that. <laughs> my, my book will be Notes on Assembling. Notes on Assembling. <laughs> you know who's great at Notes on Assembling is, you know, uh, Sandra Lee, right? She, yeah. uh, she has her philosophy of 70%, you know, and 30%. And that's, that's okay, too. You know, it, it's, it's not my thing, but it's... it's uh, it's all valid as long as you uh, bring joy to it and love to it and you find purpose in it and you connect with people through it. Food is, you know, good stuff and we need it. Thank goodness we need it. Amazing. Lauren, thank you so much for thank coming on you. Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you. <laughs> and again, um, her books are Notes on Cooking and The Competent Cook and Eat Your Breakfast or Else, Lauren Brown Costello. Uh, pick them up as gifts or just to read yourself. Thanks. This episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been brought to you by Babo Botanicals, B-A-B-O Botanicals. Thanks for listening.